0: Nick at Night is a production of Council Communications.
1: Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Nick at Night show. We've got quite a show lined up for you this evening, and we have a special guest in studio. Uh, you'll recognize this voice if you're a fan. Uh, if you are a fan of terrestrial radio, um, James Cohen is my guest. He's in studio. Um, <clears throat> he's a video editor for the Center for Security Policy in Washington, D.C., and a former board member for the International Free Press Society. Commentator at large, all around a nice guy, and. A frequent caller to the old, good old CFRA back in its glory days. Not saying it's not a good radio station now. <laughs> it's a different one. It is a different one, mm-hmm. that is for sure. So he's in studio. I brought him in for a bunch of reasons because he has a wealth of knowledge on all kinds of different topics. So we're going to kick it off with. Um, usually, I do a little monologue. Well, basically, the whole show's monologue. But I start off by making a few general comments. But tonight we're going to get into this whole story about Quebec's Bill 62. Now, from I'll let James into the conversation here in just a moment. But I, my perception of this is Quebec is defending its culture. And it's saying, look, all we're asking, and I think it's a completely reasonable request, is that when you come to Quebec... And you want to be a Quebec, uh, a Quebec, <laughs> I was going to say Quebecois and Quebecer at the same time, so you get out of that, you get Quebec, <laughs> 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 Oh man, oh, I love this show! I get to invent my own words. If you want to become a Quebecer, then there are certain things that you're going to have to adjust to, and that is when you access government services. And photo ID is required. You will be asked to remove your facial covering if you're wearing one. Now, everybody else, Patrick w- Brown, I want to call him Patrick Wynn, <laughs> and they're not much different. You might as well call them Patrick Wynn. The Bopsy Twins, w- how about w- that?
2: W-I-N, though.
1: Well, they're joined at the at the waist, W-A-S-T-E. <laughs> can they, by the way, can anybody hear James? Because I'm not hearing him in my headphones. Can you get a little, snuggle up a little bit? I could try. Let's see if maybe I can make your headphones a little hotter.
2: Let's just see if this thing is, let's see if this thing is working.
1: Is it on? Am I on? Yeah, I think so. I I don't see any lights. Hang on.
2: The problem with with this much styrofoam is that if I drop the mic, it just won't make a sound.
1: Yeah. (laughs) All right. Uh, I can hear them. That's good. Okay. And so seeing people, they can hear you. All right. Now, Uh, so anyway, going back to this. Quebec is defending its culture, saying you want to come and live here? Fine. That's fine. But if you want to access uh, government services where photo ID is required, like, I don't know, getting your driver's license, you know, accessing health care, something. in other words, if there's a need to prove who you are, we're going to ask you to remove that piece of cultural garb, not religious garb, but cultural garb from your face, long enough for us to identify that the person in the picture on the card is the same one holding it. And I think that's completely reasonable. All right, that's my point of view. Let's see if James agrees with me.
2: Well, I mean, let's call that a a starting point. I'd like to take a a different approach to it. First of all, to go back to what you said at the beginning, we were raised with when in Rome, do as the Romans. But thanks to various concerted efforts by various groups, um, that only applies actually if you're anywhere other than in a Western uh, society. If you're anywhere outside of Western civilization, of course, you would be expected if you're in Japan to observe Japanese customs and culture. Right. If you go to any African tribal society, or if you go to any place outside of a Western civilized place, you'd be expected to completely conform. But that's been turned, that's been reversed in Western civilization, where anybody from anywhere else should be expected to retain any and all customs and cultural practices not just even if they contradict our own, but especially if they do. So my concern about this, I don't, I mean, I think not being allowed to wear a disguise in public should just be an obvious law. Uh, my my real point of discussion on this would be how is media complicity enforcing a narrative. Because what what really stuns me about this is when I watch CBC coverage or any other mass media coverage in Canada where they are not, interviewing good candidates from the other side they're only talking to pe- they're only presenting muslims as victims i'd like to be really clear about this there's two or three basic logical fallacies which the media and islamic groups are absolutely f- pushing when it comes to this issue and i think the first one would be that they're being going to be kept prisoner now because they can't do things so i'd like to make that something absolutely clear if a muslim is a prisoner because she can't wear a face cloth a face mask at a bank or on a bus or anywhere else where she's not supposed to wear one, then a nudist has been a prisoner all of his life. Somebody who believes in their second amendment rights is a prisoner and smokers are all prisoners. No, the contract, the social contract is this. If you want to take a bus, go into a bank or do certain things, you have to observe certain simple customs. And if you don't want to do them, then don't make that choice. That's what all choices are. When you get married to somebody, you're saying, I'm only going to have certain kinds of relations with that person and no one else, in theory, right? Every What freedom means is a freedom to make choices, and each choice precludes other choices. And I don't get why Muslims feel that they shouldn't have to make those sacrifices. I, it doesn't matter. And you know what? Nick said that this is a cultural practice, not a religious one. I don't care. I think that this brings us to the second logical fallacy, that Muslims say that it's it's per, it's preventing them from their beliefs no it isn't you can believe that the sky is made of stilton cheese and it doesn't stop you from getting on a bus it it doesn't matter what you believe it's about what you do about those beliefs practicing your belief look in the hindus until british frankly when the when the british actually colonized india they stopped this practice but the indian hindus had a process a practice called sati, s-u-t-e-e i think it was and that's where, if a man died, they would burn his widow alive on a that's funeral
1: pyre. Right. That's right.
2: Now, are we going to say that you know that we're preventing them from having their Hindu beliefs if we stop them from burning women alive when their husband dies? I don't think so. You can still believe in any number of gods and any number. Any you can approach the supernatural how you want in your heart, and and your in your mind and your brain. But that doesn't mean you get to just willy-nilly practice it at the expense of Canadian law. We are a secular country. And in some small ways a multicultural one meaning that people can have cultural practices as long as they fit within the freedoms given to us by our secular liberal democracy right and and so now I, I, I mean how many times how many people out there have been found themselves in a bank being told to take off their sunglasses when they're next to somebody in a burqa wearing a face cloth it's insane there's no point in making laws at all if you can make up some reason con- pertaining to the supernatural where suddenly those laws don't apply to you the same could be said to halal of halal slaughter by the way so i'd like to ask you if, if a person said well I identify i personally identify as a texan and uh, my personal culture as i see myself as texan and therefore i've got my second amendment right to carry around this here six gun I just don't think that's going to fly. If you're going to get on a bus, you better not. You better leave your guns at home. That's the way we are. And as far as smoking, now, whether or not we should change those laws, that's something we can discuss, right? Maybe you should be allowed to. Maybe there'd be less problems if more people were armed. There's a very strong case to be made. But for the moment, those people aren't prisoners. They just can't get on a bus with a gun, and you can't smoke on a bus, and you have to put on some clothing. And I frankly, for anybody who wants to take issue with any of my analogies, the nudist one is pretty much bulletproof. <laughs>
1: okay. Yeah, yeah. You notice I wasn't arguing with that and line you know of what reasoning. The
2: difference is, though, the nice thing about the thing about nudists is they ha- they aren't trying to hide anything. So, <laughs> <how do you> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how
1: okay, I people? had to stop and think about that. What <laughs> is what the. Uh, Okay. So how and yes, I will quit rummaging around by the way. I'm getting complaints. Turn your mic off when you're <laughs> rummaging around. I just forgot to pl- put a couple plugs in. At that's least cured. You're not I won't have to At do least that least anymore. You're not typing, right? Yeah, that's, that's a, right. That's the anyway. Skype etiquette. That <laughs> <laughs> you're talking to somebody they
2: are always typing. So, you know, you have to just keep saying
1: stranger and stranger things to find Until
2: out how much they're paying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Did you know chickens have 3 legs? <laughs> 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 yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
2: So, anyway, you've got these, you, you have. So, m- my issue here, I mean, frankly, I, I think it's a no brainer to say that you shouldn't be allowed to wear a disguise and that Muslims. And that's the next thing Muslims who are objecting to this are saying they just want equal rights. Well, that's actually never been true. They clearly are asking for special rights. Again, a bank, you're at a bank. The guard comes over and tells you to take off your sunglasses and you're next to a woman war- in a burqa And he doesn't ask her to take that off. Well, that means that the Muslims not asking
1: for equal rights.
2: They're asking for special rights.
1: Because if it was equal, he'd ask you both to take That's them off. correct.
2: They want, they want
1: special rights. And you rights. know something? The other thing about this is, <clears throat> why is this such a big deal? Again, I go back to the idea it's a cultural practice. It's not a religious requirement. Okay, so there's that. But... How hard is it? Because it's cultural. We, they have told us, many Muslim scholars have told us this in the past, that wearing a burqa is a tradition. It, it's in, in the Catholic Church, there is a similar tradition where women, uh, and, and I don't see it very often, but sometimes you go to Mass and there is a woman who's got a veil over her head. Now, it's not a face-covering veil, but it, there is a certain tradition. Now, it's not an obligation. It's not some kind of religious law that says every woman has to and a lot more women used to, but it's something that rises and falls over time according to the wishes of the individual. It's a cultural thing or a traditional thing within the church. So when you look at it from that perspective, say, how big a deal is it for you to just simply lower your veil for a moment? We're not asking you to walk around in a bikini. All we want to do is identify you and the way we do that in the West. Unless, of course, you're willing to submit to fingerprinting, which nobody would ever suggest then show us your face long enough for us to identify you that I think is a completely acceptable um, adaptation to Western culture that is easily made by people who just want to practice their religion
2: okay let me let me just speak to the first thing about about the extent to which in Islam the thing is required okay the answer is we mustn't care and the reason we mustn't care is the second you start using somebody else's rule book and playbook, you've lost the Fair world. enough. Fair this enough. is not their game. This is ours. If we were in Saudi Arabia or Afghanistan or Iran or any of these countries where the face covering or at least the head covering is absolutely compulsory un- under threat... Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I have a, a a personal friend who spent six months, or was it 18 months, in Evan prison in Iran, a notorious prison, yeah. because she wouldn't wear the veil and she converted to Christianity. You know, perhaps we should ask her how important the veil is in Islam. But my argument is we mustn't ever discuss the Islamic view of an issue that concerns Canadian behavior and culture. If someone is to come here, it is presumably because this is a better place than where they left, and then they should... They should first conform to our way of doing things, and then we'll talk about how we should conform to them, if ever.
1: There is another point, and to your point, Kevin on Facebook here makes a great point. He says, uh, I'm more worried about the 11,000 people coming over the border illegally that may take 12 years to process. So in other words, translate that into the issue that we're talking about. We're wasting a lot of time talking about an issue that the group in question here has set the rules for the conversation. They're the ones who set the, the tone and the rules for this conversation. They're distracting us from something far more important. And I think Kevin makes a very good point.
2: Oh, it is a good point. But it's a whole... It, it would require an entire... I mean, it would require another entire show. It's a, it's a very good point. and And I, I, I wouldn't want to say anything about it unless I treated it with the, the gravitas that it actually deserves. So now... Back to the media, how the media is carrying water for this. Because I think the real issue here is, I mean, I don't know how many people are listening to the show. I don't know how many people use alternative media. But most people still watch across Canada, especially in remote parts of Canada, they watch CBC. Right. CBC is not a news program. It is a narrative-producing program that makes sure that people see things their way and think their way. And they, they I, I, I've seen enough CBC reportage about events about which I'm, I'm confident of where I was there, for instance, or where, that I see that they make sure that it's spun in a certain way. They make sure that you only see one side of the story or the story they want, and they spin the other side so that you have to hate it.
3: Okay. With that,
1: i got to stop you there, guys. i got to play a couple of commercials. Stick around, folks. We'll have more with James right after this.
4: EMM Group is the authorized IntegraSpec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made IntegraSpec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at IntegraSpec.com. Don't consider building any
3: other way. Call your ICF specialist 613-835-2600. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area, and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together.
1: welcome back, folks. <coughs> Excuse me. James Cohen is my guest. If you don't recognize his voice, you should. If you've been listening, faithful listeners, at least during my tenure at CFRA, you'll recognize his voice. He is also a video editor for the, I'm trying to do this from memory, Society, no, for the Center for Policy Studies.
2: No, but. Let's go with that. No, Center for Security Policy. Okay. I miss security. For them. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. And you're also a former board member for the International Free, Free Press, Press Society, Society, as well as a commentator at large, yada, yada, yada. So that's his pedigree. And he has a wealth of knowledge on a wide variety of topics. We were just discussing this whole Bill 62 thing. Now, one of the points I do want to make about it, because I don't want to fall in, we already fall into the trap of discussing this on um, the Sharia law terms. But... Quebec, I think, is taking the right stance on this and that they have even gone so far as to suggest they are going to pull uh, the notwithstanding clause trigger, which is fine with me. This is exactly what it's for. Mm -hmm. And I I don't. We had one. We do. We just won't use it. The whole country has one. You can like the government, the federal government can use it. They won't. Uh, And they should have uh, during Harper years a couple of times that I can think of. But. Be that as it may, Quebec is, is not afraid to use it. They they do it every five years on the whole. Um, uh, what was it? The um, language issue. <laughs> that was it. There was a uh, situation with a language issue. They they just said, screw that. We'll pull the notwithstanding clause and trigger, and we won't have to listen to you for the next five years. And every five years they pull it again. So they've used it plenty times, and they're not afraid to. So from that perspective, they're doing their best to defend their culture against this what we would call a creeping invasion. And everybody else in Canada, in Ontario, thinks the sky's falling. And I think it's absolutely asinine that people like the mayor of the city of Ottawa would say, we can't tolerate no defendant of our culture around here. Now, he didn't put it in those words, but that's what in the, uh, the effect of his letter was.
2: Well, there's, there's a very, very demonstrable connection between the organized left and, is, and uh, the Islamization of Western culture. And that's, again, that's another big show, right? Mm. But, uh, I mean, I could, as two interesting points, um, just to kind of toss them out there, there was a letter written by Carlos the Jackal from prison to Obama when where he said that the West can only be overthrown or the United States could only be overthrown by a combination of Islam and communists or leftists. Um, there was a, a letter which... Uh, which was translated by by, um, a friend of ours, so to speak, uh, from a French government official that dates back to, I think it was the 1920s. Uh, It was the year the Muslim Brotherhood was formed. Yeah. This this, um, particular French government official wrote a request to the rest of his government looking for information about the peculiar alliance that was being formed between the Muslim Brotherhood and and Muslim... uh, Salafists, specifically organizations and okay. communist groups across Europe.
1: Before you go any further, I've never heard this, the term Salafists before, and if I haven't heard it, I'm sure there's lots of people out there. What do you mean by Salafists? So,
2: the Islam was initially was initially started by essentially Bedouins in Saudi Arabia, right, under this guy Mohammed, and the original group of Muslims who did all the the sort of caravan raids, the robbing and the killing and the raping and the looting and yeah. The forcing the religion on people at knife point. Uh, they were done by groups of people who basically can be looked at. Were, were have two basic denominations. There were Salafists and um, um, Wah- Wahhabi Wahhabists, I think it is Wahhabis and Salafists. Okay. And, and essentially just means the authentic, original, hardcore form of Muslim. Not the sort of cultural Muslim that you know.
1: Somebody like Tarek Fada would be. Yeah, he
2: would be a he would be a cultural. Be a cultural Muslim, mm-hmm. and that he certainly doesn't believe in those practices, and doesn't think anyone should. But, but if you read the Quran, especially chapter nine, which is basically one long invocation to randomly kill the unbeliever in, in an indiscriminate manner, that would be the central dogma for Salafis and Wahhabis. and these are the groups with whom early w- communists in the 1920s were were uh, were joining up with. So, I, I mean, look again, this would be a whole show to talk about the Red-Green Alliance, right? Mm-hmm, right. But where, where I wanted to go was right now here in Canada where the media is carrying water for these guys. Now, I, I'm I we, again, I could do a show on that, but I'm going to ask people who are interested that they can get all the evidence they need from one article. So if they were to go on to Google and look for Honest Reporting Canada, Honest Reporting Canada, and look for an article they, they published either yesterday or the day before, and it was about a Toronto imam that in his sermon clearly and unmistakably read what is said by Muslim imams all over the world, that they must find the Jews and kill them all one by one until there is no Jews left, and to cleanse the Al-Aqsa Mosque from the filth of the Jews. Now, uh, the Toronto Star did a massive four-page apologia attempting to make it look like he didn't really say that, he didn't mean it, it was a bad translation, and whoever translated it um, must be a horrible person. Which is an extraordinary turnaround, right, where you're essentially, I mean, it's like something, it's like something, it's like something out of the onion about the Nazis. But the, the, the Honest Report in Canada actually researched the experts and looked at the article and published in detail how disingenuous the Toronto Star was.
1: Well, I read that. I, I didn't read the whole thing. It was exhausting reading. It was one of the largest articles I've ever seen in a newspaper. The star one. Yeah. yeah. It went on and on well, to, to be, to be and on. on. Yeah. And I'm reading this thinking, okay, this there's something wrong here. Because let's face it, when you're taking up that much column in, inch-column space in a newspaper, you're taking away advertising space. Yeah. And even the Toronto Star has to make money. Yeah. Okay, so there has to be a reason this is four pages well, long. are
2: trying to convince people that night is day and day is night, it takes a lot of verbiage.
1: It was just the most bizarre thing I've ever looked at. I mean, yes. look, look, you go National Post post the longest articles in Canadian in in Canadian media. And I'll tell you sometimes you got to struggle to get to get through them.
2: Thank they're
1: you. they're very in-depth, they're very, you know, uh, they they're the ones who go into the gritty details. Uh, the sun is exactly the opposite, but the star usually falls somewhere in the middle. But this for them was just like, "Oh my god, it was a tome." Yes. So, so
2: if you check the on it, but instead of making people read that, look at the analysis published by uh, which links to the article. So you won't have any difficulty with that. Go to Honest Reporting Canada, check out the the Toronto Star article about this Imam that that didn't mean what he didn't say because he said it meant it. <laughs> and uh, and look at the analysis and they it, it's extraordinary piece. It's real journalism. Something like you just don't get it. Now there was
1: an interview by uh, Mr. what uh, Spencer. What's his first name? Robert Spencer. Robert Spencer that I saw. And <laughs> either the interviewer or he said Imagine if we had said that Russian was a magical language, that unless you were Russian and raised and trained by the right Russians, you couldn't understand the language.
2: Yeah, we'd have lost the Cold War faster than we did. Well, actually, that was quoting Stephen Coughlin, who is a, I mean, Stephen Coughlin is probably one of the greatest living um, non Muslim um, experts in Sharia law, as well as he was an expert in Cold War. Uh, in, in the so, whole Soviet Western Cold War, now how
1: do you say we lost the Cold War? Because we're communists now. Oh, okay, I get you. I, I got We it.
2: absolutely lost the Cold War. I mean, it just took. Long, we just we didn't notice, but I mean, let's face it that that uh, you look at at Bill at M one hundred three, which is rapidly becoming legislation. You look at the fact that in schools they're trying to teach children that there's actually no biological differences between boys and girls or men and women. You're, this is that's all, a law in Canada, in Ontario, all, now too. Is, and you know what? This takes me into the other thing I wanted to talk about, which is the fact that we're communists now, and what does that mean? Because the thing that the thing that is the most frustrating, if you actually pick up a book and read what communism actually is, it, people in Canada have been hoodwinked into thinking that it was a great, econo- fair economic system where everybody, you know, everybody had lots of everything, and the rich people didn't hoard all the money. It's nonsense. Communism is about. Uh, destroying science, real science and real knowledge and real understanding, if it doesn't fit a foregone conclusion. In fact, I'm going to say communism is more of a religion than how people view religion because religious people, in my experience, actually are very very good at reasoning and they will they will use reason to determine their actions and beliefs believe it or not even if they have a even if they have a strong belief in the supernatural their day-to-day lives are governed by reason but in communism it's based on type of thought called postmodern thought and again this is another long show but what i want to do just is is hopefully i'm kind of hoping that we get a call from somebody who actually was born and raised behind the iron curtain <laughs> and to talk about her experience in Poland growing up and and I know that there's people out there that have friends that were raised in the Czech Republic and in Russia and so on and they're getting older and like it's like if you know anybody that was living in Nazi Germany they're they're getting really old you must talk to them we we this knowledge must not be lost and you know I've heard it said that one of the greatest tragedies of history was that we didn't have a Nuremberg trial for uh, when 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 the soviet union collapsed the way we did for the nazis and so kids think it's okay to walk around with a hammer and sickle they think it's or okay. che guevara che guevara t-shirt they think that it's okay cuz they don't understand that communism the communists, stalin would have made hitler blush stalin killed just countless millions, nine million in the Ukraine alone, starving farmers to death because he felt that they were people who hadn't yet achieved capitalism and so they had to be exterminated in order to perfect men. It's no different than the Nazis, the communists. Just very subtle little distinctions. Okay. And Mao killed 20 million.
1: I got to stop you there. I want to take this phone call. Good evening. Welcome to the Nick Night Show. Who oh. are we talking to? Hi. This is
5: Editha. Hello. Hello. Can now. you hear me?
1: We seem to be having a problem. Caller, are you there? Yes, I'm here. That's what I'm just thinking. Can about. you hear me? I don't think so. It should work. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Can you hear me? Um All right. Tell Hello? you what, give me a few minutes, uh, caller. I'm gonna I'm gonna drop the call. We'll call back in a few minutes and I'll see if I can figure out what is going on and why we can't hear you. Because you should be okay. um, talking to us at the moment. You're all lit up. So I apologize for that. I'll all see right. if I can get that figured out. Okay. Actually, it's perfect time to take a, a break anyway. So we'll play a couple commercials, and we'll come back with more with James Cohen right after this.
0: ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra. Eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's out of motion. 34 Cleopatra. Tell him council sent you. That'll make him smile.
4: EMM Group is the authorized IntegraSpec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made IntegraSpec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at IntegraSpec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist 613-835-2600.
3: Tap a little trainer, clack a little prouder, Be in the reader, a little louder. Cock a
5: little we can show you how to when will you be
1: then? That is called March Along, Along, Along with Marvel for all you old folks in case you recognize that tune that's where it comes from. I think I know a mistake was mine. I forgot to turn the thing back up after the last commercial. So, with that said, if the caller uh, wants to call back, we will try it. Yes, I love the tune, too. I'm getting all kinds of hearts across the screen. Okay, i got to end that there, turn that back up, so when the call comes in, you guys should be able to hear it. If not, then there's another little glitch here somewhere. We'll, well have to figure I'm, out.
2: While we're waiting for it to come back, let's finish the thought.
1: Sure, kay? by all means, go right ahead. Finish what you were, think- what you were saying.
2: It's, it's re- This is really important because I get in numerous conversations with friends and acquaintances and, and, and co-workers in different fields, and none of them really have a clue what communism is. And if people really want to look into it, oh here's our call. I'll do it this way. This is going to have to go. Okay.
3: okay.
1: So, uh, Good evening. Welcome Hello. to the Good Night Show.
5: Hello.
1: Hello. Hello. How are you?
5: I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm wonderful. Let me just check. Can you folks on Facebook hear her?
2: Say something. Say
5: again, uh, something, something,
1: something. Something, something, something. <laughs> I think they can hear you because I can hear you in my headphones, which is good news.
2: Okay, so I'd like to ask right. you. I'd like to ask you a question. I know that you grew up in Poland behind the Iron Curtain, right? That's correct. Would you? I'd like you to just take a couple of minutes, please, and I'd like you to address what you feel is the biggest misconception since you moved to the, moved to the West, moved to the States. What are the biggest misconceptions people have? Um, about what was the difference between what they feel communism is and what it really was what was your what was your experience of communism growing up uh, behind the iron curtain Um,
5: I would say that what people completely underestimate is that they won't have those nice things they have and they take everything for granted starting from the toothbrush through the t-shirt they're wearing and, and winter shoes, uh, and everything that, that that they need. And I'm not only talking about beautiful, luxurious things some people can afford, I'm talking about everyday things. Like, we hear now about Venezuela that people are chasing after toilet paper, but well, that was real. That was real so much that if you would see someone walking on the street and carrying some, um, carrying some rolls of toilet paper, you would actually stop them even if they were perfect strangers and ask them where they where they were able to buy it. And then you would go there right away, would drop everything and go. And so that that was uh, that that's what people don't cannot cannot um, imagine, you know.
2: That so- stuff
5: disappears.
2: So definitely, I think, I think a lot of people might know, I mean, they definitely can't imagine that, that the amount of time and effort that went into looking for the basic necessities. But it's what, what, what I'm trying to stress is that the ideological reasons why these shortages existed, it wasn't just because communism is a bad system that wasn't able to produce enough. It's because the concept of forced equality, I mean, that's what, I, can you speak to that a little bit?
5: constitution, the right to work was was uh, was put in. Therefore, you couldn't be fired, and that that would mean that yeah, everybody is equal, so everybody has equal, and it, it, it doesn't matter. It didn't matter if you were performing or if you were. It, we even have a saying that it, it didn't matter if you were laying down or if you were standing. Uh, you had to be paid. So, so that was the, the idea of of equality and. Uh, from this I would say even what, what is today
2: called uh, not equality but equity right? Equity. The, the result will be the same no matter what. So equity versus uh, equality mean that rather than everybody being equal before the law at the starting gate of the race that the government would force everyone to be equal at the end of the race no matter what their actual performance was. So this, is that what you mean by equity? Much like uh, yeah. it's almost like Kurt Vonnegut Jr.'s story, *Harrison Bergeron*, where the pretty people wear masks, the strong people carry weights, and the graceful people uh, have to be slightly crippled. Some, something like that. There, there was also an
5: effort that had nothing to do with equality or equity, for so, so that matter, to, to discourage people of learning. Therefore, uh, so, so-called workers would would be paid much more than. To people that were educated, and it it was actually the uh, inversely proportionate, is that how you say it? That, y- yes. That the, more, that the more degrees you would have, the less you would,
1: money you would earn, and the poorer you would be. Let me, can I jump so, in and ask a question if you don't mind? Um, sure. <coughs> when I was in high school, we read a book called Animal Farm. Is, I, you're familiar with the book? Yes. Okay. Uh, is that still relevant reading for today? Like if you were to hand that to, let's say, a grade 10 student, just as an example, that that would give them a real good idea of what communism really looks like?
5: Um, I would say that, that because, for, for, for at least for, the, for, for that reason, that, that in communism they would be that really privileged class of people who are in the party and who are more equal than everybody else, right?
4: Mm-hmm.
5: So for, Some of for that reason alone, yes, it is. And and it, 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 this system cannot exist without those people who are really preying on the rest of us,
2: right? True. Yeah. Now what was the how did the government deal with people that, that simply didn't think along the lines that the Communist Party wanted them to think?
5: Um I well there was, uh, was brainwashing. Going on all the time, and there were there was banners hanging on the street. How, how we should think, and and uh, really quickly people would start to see that there is there is the reality, and there is the propaganda. Because you know, when there is no food and there is no stuff, you, you just don't believe what you're being told. But uh, there was a, there was a point at which. Carrying certain jokes or saying aloud those things uh, it was not tolerated. And, and, and I think uh, you want me to tell the story about about the family friends to to honor uh, what happens to them. Is
2: that is that right? Well, basically, uh, I guess so. I mean, the, the thing that's I, I guess where I'm really going with this is that it seems uh-huh. to me, from everything I've learned from talking to people like yourself who were from behind the Iron Curtain or in the Soviet Union. That Canada, especially, and the Western world seems to be adopting the worst aspects of communism no one 's noticing I mean in terms of forcing a narrative in terms of the like for instance, the concept that that uh, that they 're teaching in schools now that uh, like even math classes are often just socialist indoctrination in schools about uh, boys and girls having no biological differences it, it, complete a complete contempt of science and the scientific method, uh, a co- almost like throwing a bucket of water on the match of the Enlightenment, and that—that that seems to be exactly what the Soviets did across Eastern Europe. Is that—is that not right? Well, I heard that Soviets were
5: doing it, and where we were concerned, it was—it uh, was mostly history that was that we were lied about. Um, math and, and science was, was pretty much left alone and uh, I suppose it's because our teachers were people who grew up under, under capitalism or, or at least the older teachers and so whereas Russians at the same time had already uh, advantage of, of two at least two generations ahead without people not knowing normality you know
3: well, so I think that's why Russians have it worse, and you guys
2: have it worse because you were tried uh, in Russia. Yeah, and yeah. And you know, the thing is, and I think Poland. Well, the, basically, the end of the Soviet Union started in Poland because they had a much stronger culture of individual of individualism, and uh, you know, with with uh, was it was it Lech Walesa, and yep. uh, you know, and and of course, the Pope helped a great. When we had a Pope that actually wasn't communist, sorry, <laughs> sorry Nick, when we had a Pope that wasn't communist, he helped actually take down the Soviet Union, but I know that in the Czech Republic they were much more ideologically oppressed, and I know that uh, uh, certainly in the Soviet Union you know, uh, I think there's that that wonderful movie what's it called in book uh, 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 The Devil what's that wonderful so, uh, dis- I mean, Master Margarita? The Master Margarita if people are looking for like eight or nine hours of just magical entertainment and uh, a, uh, a chance to be highly entertained while learning about how things were in the Soviet Union. You know, find, rent, or buy the movie or the book, The Master Margarita. It's it's just, it's fantastic. Anyway, look, I want to thank you very much for calling in and, you know, hope to talk to you again soon. It was really good of you to take the time out of your evening and talk to us. Um, we'll speak to you again. Thank you again. Okay,
1: thank you. Have thank a good you. night.
2: So the 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 point here is that is that communism is is not what people think it is and we are seeing it in our schools we're seeing it in every walk of our life it is a huge problem and it's the reason why islam is being treated differently than every other group if you know when muslims claim that they just want equal rights to do things that no one else can do and that we should have less rights we should have less freedom of speech we if this is this is a function of uh, the red green alliance
1: well one of the things I was <clears throat> I was hoping she would do for us is to give us because I heard a lot of things I I know the call quality wasn't the best but the um, we hear a lot of language that she was using describing communism that is now floating around in our own culture like we hear about equity yeah. uh, how many times have we heard everything from pay equity to outcome equity you name the equity there's a prefix that goes with it. And you have uh, outcome-based education, which isn't about outcomes. It's, well, it is about outcomes as long as everybody outcomes the same. Uh, you know, it's exactly it's the reverse of merit. I think one of the greatest strengths of Western culture is the fact it was based on merit, not on who. The fact that you know we all start at the same place, but there's no. In other words, we all start at the same place. We all don't. We were not guaranteed that we we're all even going to make the other the finish line. Uh, the communistic system, or the, the progressive system, as I like to call it, says, yeah, we're all going to start at the same place, but nobody crosses that finish line until the last person gets there.
2: Well, the truth, I mean, the way I see it is in communist systems, whether it's Venezuela or the Soviet Union or Cuba, or at this point, Canada and England, the, the fact is... It's not that everybody gets to cross the finish line at the same time. That's a nice fairy tale. It's really that they read it. It's The problem is taxonomy, right? They invent their own system of categorization where white males are inherently the oppressors no matter what the situation, no matter who's doing what to who. The white male... It's what Ezra Levant calls politically correct poker, right? Right. So now what we've got is we, we set up a system where different groups are unequal based... It's actually systemic racism, right? So they call... And anybody who objects to this new systemic racism is called a racist and shouted down.
1: Well, well let's, you know what? Let, let's take this conversation because I'm really enjoying it. And I think what I want to do is see how this trickles down into the lower levels where people, the rubber meets the road, people deal every day with issues they might not, would never even think apply or have these Marxist roots. Um, recycling, as an example, <laughs> the whole environmental movement. Um, the the idea of having safe injection sites, uh, you know harm reduction, all these wonderful progressive ideas really all come from um, those kinds of um, socialistic slash communistic roots, don't they?
2: Well, I agree with you on some of them and some not. Let's let's pick one. Let's pick global warming. All right. Um, Global warming is a good example because it's allegedly based on science. Now, I want to be really clear about this: that postmodern thought, which is I'm con- I'm calling postmodern thought the umbrella under which communism is one variable. This Marxism, which is you know kind of the same as communism, which is kind of the same as Nazism. And believe me, Nazi Nazi Nazis stood for National Socialist Workers Party. The difference between the Nazis and the communists were lilliputian. Okay, and anyone who actually goes on YouTube and looks, at and looks actually listens to a Hitler speech, all they're going to hear is regurgitated Marx, okay so Hitler was a socialist he was just a national socialist and there was very subtle flavors and it led to some fights in the street, but basically it was the, 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 the enemy of both of them was the classical liberal, which would be both Nick and myself, for example because the classical liberal believes in individualism and in science now, science means the enlightenment specifically, right, the philosophy and the science that came from the enlightenment Okay, Even Thomas Aquinas, one of the greatest thinkers in the Western tradition, mm-hmm. most excellently once said that the study of nat- of the natural world and the scientific method was a form of devotion to God because God made the world, and so studying his creation was a way to know him. Now, b- that was one of those, it was like one of those little tiny things that changed the world, much like when Jesus said, render under Caesar God's what is God, and render under Caesar's what is Caesar's, right. which led the way to the separation of church and state. Okay. I'm going a bit far afield, but what I'm trying to get at is that in, the Enlightenment bred science; it bred Aristotelian thought, or at least it brought it back in, into Western Europe, right? right? And and communist thought actually despises it. It is anti it, 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 the fact, and you can see it now when they talk about um, transsexuals. I mean, let's be clear: there's no such thing. There's people with extreme makeovers, right? If I get a if I get a piece of pipe cleaner and staple it to the bottom of my spine and then glue a bunch of fur to my ears, I am not a golden retriever. And if you, you know, what you are born, you are born. And I recognize that there are certain medical conditions that are very rare in which you have some indeterminate uh, uh, sexuality. But generally there's two sexes, and what you feel inside is whatever.
1: Beside the point.
2: And and Johns Hopkins has stopped performing uh, that... that, um, where, where they kind of do pl- they do a kind of basically it's just an extreme makeover on the inside, right? Where they put silicone sacks on top of your pectoral muscles and they do some cutting and sewing, but it doesn't cha- it, it doesn't change. I mean, gender
1: reassignment are, surgery is what you're talking about,
2: it, it, except that I, I find that a preposterous. It's an extreme makeover. Okay, right? I
1: mean, but it, that's it, what the the general term for it is. Put a
2: baby to that silicone sack and see how how fast it starves. Okay, uh huh. So, um. The point is that the Johns Hopkins has stopped doing it because they said that no one who actually has that procedure, the symptoms for which gave them the diagnosis that required it got better. So therefore it wasn 't what it is they said it was or thought it was. You follow it 's like the people yeah. who insist that they will be better if you amputate a leg and then you amputate the leg and they wonder whether they 're having trouble walking. Yeah, because it's actually a form of mental illness. And Johns Hopkins said it is. It can't be treated that way. And so what I'm getting at is now in schools, they teach it that you have to give extra deference to 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 this sort of a thing. Right. And I'm, I'm saying, look, it's one thing to be compassionate and sympathetic and try to help people. It's one thing to even, even to, to a, you know, to the degree you would anybody to tolerate their eccentricities. And I think that's terrific. But when you actually make it, you mandate it so that you must believe in this. If you don't accept it, if you don't use the right pronoun, you're actually going to go to jail. That is communism. Because now you're saying that the science of biology, and for anybody uncertain about this, read Steven Pinker's excellent book, The Plank Slate. It deals with this and everything I'm talking about, frankly. It does it much better than I am, right? Because he actually, Stephen Pinker's book, The Blank Slate, which, I, I mean, I, look, I don't have the adjectives to talk about what a great book it is. I'm just not that skilled in English. But I want, I want to tell you that the person who got me to get it said, I'm not making this guarantee, by the way. But he said that if I bought the book and didn't like it, he'd pay me back for it. <laughs> I can't afford to do that. <laughs> but I'm telling you. It is that good. You can download it as an audio book from Audible, and, uh, or you can buy the book and read it. But what he does in this book is, is actually not just in this one example I'm giving, but he talks about how postmodern thought and the abandonment of reason and the introduction of the idea of humans as a blank slate that could be molded into whatever you want has actually wormed its way into science for the last hundred years across the Western world and done countless damage and an inordinate amount of suffering. And it's going to wrap this up really quickly, this thought, okay. this way. Ultimately, what this boils down to what you're seeing here in Canada and in the United States to a lesser degree and in Western Europe, and I keep talking about postmodern thought, but it really, a lot of it boils down to the, the notion of the blank slate. And What that means is uh, everything that's born has a nature that's born into it an innate that's nature right. right they know what that is roughly 50 percent in humans about 50 percent of people is how they're born they know that from twin studies and from genetic analysis about 40 percent is your personal environment right which is where you're different from your brother and 10 percent uh, and 10 percent is your shared environment which is what's the same as your brothers right so if you have a brother it's roughly your age and you grow up in the same house in the same general conditions 10 percent of who you are is from that of it's your own personal experience for the things that happened to you that didn't happen to your brother. And 50% of it is the genetic code that makes you who you are. And anybody who's had more than one kid knows when that child is born, and Nick would know this eight times over, when that child's born, they're born with a certain nature. And all kinds of easy tests can be done to show that children have an innate nature. Now, communism insists that that isn't true. Communism actually wants us to believe that our connection to fellow workers who we've never seen and are unaware of is stronger than to our own children and that children can be molded any way you want and that the reason we believe what we do about gender i say in scare quotes is because we're conditioned that way by evil free market which they call capitalism Mm -hmm. uh white patriarchy yada yada wasa wasa and it's nonsense and the fact is our nature is innate, it is inherent, and the reason they hate the merit system is because the merit system lets everybody from their different, whether it's a race, class, sex thing, whatever it is, everybody rises to the top in the areas to which they're interested in and to which they excel at. And, and they hate that because they, they need to believe that everybody is equal coming out of the gate.
1: All right. Marin wants to uh, is asking a question. How do you explain to someone who believes that communism has never been accomplished as per Karl Marx? In other words, it's always been tried it's been tried a lot, but it's never been tried the right way.
2: Actually, that's a really really common uh, argument that communists make. And of course, if the, the, it's I find it actually rather easy to, to disprove. You just have to say, "Look, Uh, Communists always make the apology that the problem is man and man's greed and so on. And the answer to that is, well, then it's not the right system for man, is it? What you're saying inherently is that man is flawed and that you must correct man. And the reason it's never worked is because they've never killed enough of us and got enough of us to, as a blank slate. Mao said that, that a, a, a newborn infant is a, is a blank piece of paper upon which we can write what we want. That's what Mao said. Hitler said similar things. Uh, uh, all the communists do. Venezuela just tried it. And, you know, here's the scary thing. And this is, again, why I have such deep... And contempt for the CBC is that we just saw an example take place over a scant 15 years or so where they elected a communist to actually apply. And I'm going to quote Donald Trump here, who said something, I think, in a speech he gave. I can't remember exactly when it was. Might have been in Poland. It might have been since then. But Trump said, and very courageously and quite brilliantly, that Venezuela failed uh, because communism was applied correctly. I saw that. And he, it was, it was like I was moved because thank God somebody just had the simple honesty to say what they saw, right? That 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 if someone says it hasn't been tried correctly, you just have to say how. You know they tried it in Cuba and they tried it correctly. Cuba, they tried it in the Soviet Union, they tried it in China. They they are trying it correctly. They're trying it perfectly in North Korea, in North Korea where you go to the gulag until your grandchildren die if you misuse a piece of paper that has a picture of dear leader on it. That's how communism is done right. <clears throat> and, you know, you've got to ask yourself, how is that not a religion? I mean, what I find so ironic from the, from the far left that want a communist system and claim to despise religion is that it's infinitely more of a religion, not in the way religion really is, but in the way that they claim it is. It's so sad, and the the degree of suffering that these postmodernists cause across the spectrum, because even the people that are supposed to benefit from it don't. I mean, to be honest with you, if you're just a regular Joe in a free market economy where you can have smartphones and you can make the choices that make your life anything you want. See, another problem with communists is they try to measure everything in money, right? But for those of us, you know, for artists out there that may say, well, I could get a job working for a commercial uh, art firm and make a really good living, but maybe I don't want to do that. Maybe I just want enough money to pay my rent and spend my time making my art my way. Maybe they see wealth in more, in a, in a dimensional way. There's more kinds of currencies than just the, the paper in your pocket. And and communists simply, the communist system, as it insists on equity, looks at all of these other forms of currencies, as things that must be suppressed, because they're unfair advantages to one group or another.
1: Well... There is. <laughs> we could go on and on and on for and hours. probably should. <laughs> and I will have you back again. Um, I do have a whole list of other things I do want to get to. And it, it always pains me to have to bring these conversations to an end because it's fascinating just sitting here listening to. There's so much knowledge and so much wealth. The one thing I guess it goes back to what Ronald Reagan, um, his whole crawling out of the swamp, speech really in a nutshell condenses everything you just said socialism and social I see I don't see any difference really between other than shades of gray between socialism fascism communism and uh, Nazism, well, fascism, Nazism, same thing.
2: Not quite. Now, see, the, the, the people don't really get this about fascism, but fascism was when Mussolini was reading Marx. These were all Marxists, right? And he goes, you know, Marx didn't go far enough. We have to be more oppressive than Marx said we needed to be. And we need to be more brutal in terms of our economic systems. And fascism was actually when the communists said, we just got to take it to the next level see, fa- and, and, and that's what's so funny about these Antifa guys that wear masks and go around calling everybody else a Nazi it's, it's got to be really clearly understood here, you know, the Nazis they, they committed s- historical level atrocities by using tax- bad taxonomy again, right, they invented what Jews were, because before, you got to understand that before uh, Hitler right? Ju- Judaism was basically a religion and a culture and so on, but it wasn't really looked at as a race so in previous pogroms Jews had a chance they could convert to something else or whatever if they wanted to retain their Judaism. I'm not saying these other pogroms were okay. I'm just saying there was a fundamental difference between that and Hitler saying that it was a race. And if you had one Jewish grandparent, if you were 25% Jewish, you had to be exterminated. That's a big difference, you see. So Hitler invented his own taxonomy where Jews were a race as opposed to a religion and a culture and a people, whatever have you. And that it had to be exterminated and in order to perfect humanity, much the way that the Soviet communists said they had to exterminate the Slavs and anybody who hadn't quite reached capitalism yet, because capitalists could be perfected, but these people never could, right? They were they were subhuman. It's the same thing. And the fa- now Antifa does the same thing. They take the same license so the Nazis would take a license by calling people Jews or or whatever they call them, whatever they need, whatever label they wanted, and then kill them. Whereas what the Antifa people do is they call people Nazis and take a license to attack them. It doesn't matter who they are, what they think, what they believe, just like Germans and the Jews. Because remember, that the, the Jews in Germany at that time were the most integrated secular Jews probably in world history at that point, right? They were like, so many of them had won medals fighting for Germany in World War One. Hitler killed them all. Why? Because they were Jews, the way Hitler saw it, right? Right. So he took license from the word Jew as he invented it in order to exterminate them. And Antifa, which openly carry communist flags, openly carry communist flags on the street with a hammer and sickle, the symbol of the death of 100 million people in peacetime, they wear their masks and then call everybody who doesn't agree with every detail of their little agenda. They call them Nazis and fascists and take license from the name they give them to attack them, irrespective of who those people are.
1: Well, the old saying is history repeats itself if you don't learn from it, and I think we're seeing a classic case of it.
2: Well, Mark Twain said history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme.
1: Fair enough. James, as always, it's been a pleasure.
2: Thank you so much for inviting me on. You know, I'm going to sleep better at night for this.
1: Well, you certainly had a chance to vent, put it that way. Thank you again. Uh, We'll take a little break here, top of the hour break. When we come back, we'll get into some more issues that are um, a little more local and a little more provincial in nature because there's a ton of stuff we haven't even started with yet. So I want to get to those things uh, and we'll do that right after this. You listen to this and when we come back, we'll be uh, ready to go with hour number two. As soon as I can find the right button which I believe is that one.
0: So Nick is reloading and taking a much-needed break. Not that he needs one. But maybe it's a good thing. So if you want to fire him off an email, just uh, send it to nick at latenightcouncil.com. That's simple, huh? Nick at latenightcouncil.com. Or better yet, call now. Hey, I know he could talk forever, but you know what? If you're doing talk radio, you love the calls. 343-700-4390. That's 343 700 4390 for the capital region. And if you can't get through on that line or you live far, far, far away, like we're talking about Alaska, 1 844 562 4766. That's 1 562 4766. Now, our call service is automated. You won't be talking to a live person until you're live on air. Don't sweat it. Just follow the prompts and while you're on hold and, and you'll be fine. Now, Nick at Night does not exist without advertisers. So if you want to buy time, you contact either myself, JC at latenightcouncil.com, or you can contact Nick if you're more comfortable with him and of course I certainly understand that. You can contact Nick at latenightcouncil.com. The ads are like really, really cheap. I mean, you're going you're going to love that. Okay? You We we've, we've made them quite accessible Feedback is always welcome Tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like And thanks for tuning in Now, back to Nick at Night
1: to get going in hour number two i want to thank james that was a wonderful interview i certainly enjoyed it i hope you got a lot of it, a lot out of it and remember all this is available on podcast later online if you want to go to late night council if you want to re-listen to it uh you can certainly do that um, we do get a lot of downloads uh people come in and check it out later when they have an opportunity they can't catch the show live so there's all kinds of opportunities here uh to go over that material because james had a lot to say and uh, I will have him back again in the future because there's so much more we could spend time talking about. But even with all that, there is plenty of things to talk about. And I want to get into, uh, <coughs> there's some local issues I want to I get into. Uh, but at the same time, before, just before I do that, I'm just looking for it now. I know I have it here somewhere. Uh, do Where are you? Let's go here. I posted my thoughts on this whole sexual abuse thing that's flared up here in the last little while. And for the life of me, uh, I, I just wanted to share those thoughts with you in case you missed them on Facebook. All I have to do is find it. It's down here somewhere. If I scroll down far enough, I'm sure I will come across it. And i got to put my eyeballs back on. Otherwise, I can't see a thing. Oh, oh before I do that, this poor kid, I really... Jonathan Petrie... Has had health issues that would make the strongest among us tremble with fear, and this kid has approached these things with nothing but courage i I look at this and think can 't this poor guy catch a break he 's the latest if you 're not if you 're familiar with this story is he has a perforated bowel, and he might have to go back into the university uh, the hospital in Minnesota for more surgery. This poor kid just every time he turns around there 's another health issue. But whenever you look at a picture of him, um, he's smiling, He's you know he never gets down, at least not, I'm sure he has downtime, but you never see it. I have a tremendous amount of respect for that young man, and I certainly wish him all the best in the future, because, boy, I'll tell you, uh, it was just, it, it, it breaks my heart to see somebody go through that kind of suffering. But on the other hand, he's a great example to all of us about how to keep your chin up no matter what life deals you. It's just you just got to keep on going because you know. I just like the kid. I like I like his courage. I like his pluck, and he could very easily um, do a lot of crying and whining. But I've never ever anywhere in all the stories I've read about him and all the media coverage he's gotten, have I ever noted noted even a tone or an undercurrent? of uh, feeling sorry for himself. So here's hoping things get better for him, and here's hoping that he, he comes out on top of this because you know going under the knife is always a dangerous business. So f- with that, I want to share some thoughts with you. Uh, we're all familiar with this. Uh, well, let me put it to you this way. There has been a lot of these uh, stories about sexual exploitation and sexual assault uh, in the news all over the place. Every time you open a paper, there's a new story. Uh, somebody in the military, a policeman, a, you know, a clergyman, um, you know, somebody in Hollywood, and every time you turn around, you're running into this stuff. So I decided to write my thoughts down in a, in a little, a little bit of a monologue here, and I want to share it with you because um, I think it's um, it, it's worth going over to give you my perspective. If you didn't catch it on Facebook, I hate sexual assault and exploitation of any kind, anywhere by anyone. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. I do, however, find myself wondering what exactly is going on within our society. The manipulation by powerful people of those who are vulnerable for sexual purposes has been going on since we got kicked out of the garden. There's no denying that. There's also a long list of high-profile candidates both recently and in the past that should be called to account for this kind of behavior, but somehow have managed to escape answering for their conduct. Why does Bill Clinton come to mind? So what is really going on? There is nothing new. So why, <coughs> why the fit of sudden outrage? This behavior is indeed intolerable and needs to be exposed, but why, after all this time, is it an issue now? Did women have no voice before? If you think that, I suggest you tell the suffragettes who did, not, who did whatever it took up to and including breaking the law and going to prison just for the right to vote that women had no voice in the past. Here's something to ponder. Harvey Weinstein... The Hollywood film producer goes down in flames, his reputation shredded, and his company a smoking wreck because a group of, actually, I looked into it later, it was 30 women he, he has worked with over the past years accused him of sexual assault. Is he guilty? Maybe, probably. But he will never get a fair trial in the court that matters the most the court of public opinion. That die is already cast. So it really doesn't matter if he's guilty or not, he's toast. Now consider two of the most egregious abusers of women for sexual purposes, the founder of Playboy, the late Hugh Hefner, and the founder of Hustler magazine, Larry Flint. Both these men have made vast fortunes exploiting women, and men for that matter, in ways that make Weinstein look like a choir boy. Yet no one has ever complained about them in a similar fashion, even though in my opinion both richly deserve it. The late Senator Ted Kennedy of Massachusetts was the center of at least seven different sexual misconduct scandals, but he was never hauled up on the carpet for even one, and he isn't alone. The world of politics, sports, and entertainment are rife with stories of casting couch incidents, infidelity, sexual assault, and worse. Yet for some reason, the biggest bad guy in the room that must be made an example is of is Harvey Weinstein. Am I the only one that thinks there's something wrong here? So we have a classic double standard. For some reason, and I am not for a second saying he doesn't deserve what's happening to him, by the way, just that we really should let him have his day in court before we get out the tar and feathers. Harvey is paying for some perceived politically correct sin that is yet to be exposed, while the likes of Clinton, Flint, and a whole host of others stand on the sidelines and cheer the enraged masses. Perhaps my old school values keep me seeing the, keep me from seeing the bigger picture— But if you're going to pillory one person for this kind of behavior, you'd better be ready to do it to everyone who behaves that way. So that's just my thoughts on the topic. And I'll tell you what, it really bothers me, this, this kind of thing. Because, look, in my world, the men I know don't treat their women this way. They would never tolerate their children treating people this way. I'm not condoning this for a second. But think of this. There's, because I have no doubt in a lot of cases, these allegations are true. But isn't it also possible that with these kinds of allegations, someone... And I'm not picking on men or women because both in, in today's world, it can happen either way. Someone can, cre- can Matt, just create a scenario claim a situation happened when it didn't, and completely destroy an innocent individual. They can tear apart their business, their families, and to a large extent, the communities they've built over the years. All because they either want money, notoriety, some kind of sick-twisted idea of fame. I'm not saying it's a, that's a, that is a, um, a, a real huge problem, but I'm saying this is what we have to be careful of. As uh, what was his name? Blackwell um, said there was. I would rather see ten men go free than one man suffer in j- the injustice of imprisonment, or something like that. And we have to be careful that we don't set this table in such a way that lives can unjustly be torn apart. You're never going to stop it completely, and we do need to deal with predators. We do need to make sure that people feel comfortable when the situations are real. To come forward and point this out. I'm all for that. But I'm also saying. If we're if somebody makes these allegations. It's easy. To sit back and say. What a horrible disgusting person. Instead of saying. Those are serious allegations. Let's see what the courts have to say. And if they're proved in court. Alright. Now get the tar and feathers out. Because he, he or she. Has earned them. But too quickly do we jump to conclusions. I'm not saying Weinstein's innocent. But to quote Gandalf in Lord of the Rings, be careful how you deal out death and punishment, for not even the wise can see all ends. I think applies very much in this case. All right. Uh, Kevin, I care. He's asked me, who cares? I do. That's why I'm talking about it. Now... As far as his question, Kevin asked the question: What would the OPP do if savings injections opened up in Wilno? We'll, well, if we take um, first of all, it's not going to happen. But theoretically, hypothetically, I would like to think they'd shut it down. Can I guarantee that? No. Should it be shut down? Absolutely. Should the city of Ottawa shut down the one now? Absolutely. And for Jim Watson. To claim the idea that all of a sudden there's no, you know, he, he, can't, he can't direct the police. You know, he can't tell the police what to do. And he's right. He can't tell the police what to do. He can, however, say, do your job. Enforce the law. That's not telling them how to do their job. That's just making sure they actually do their job as they're mandated to do by the different acts of legislature that govern how they conduct themselves. And Jim has no interest. See, one of the things about Mr. Watson is he'll say something, right? I'm opposed to safe sex, in, or safe sex, yeah, that, I don't know about that, but uh, I'm opposed to safe injection sites. First of all, there's nothing safe about them. They're supervised injection sites. They're poison poison dens. You know, and he's all upset. All But when one pops up illegally within his own city limits, He does nothing to stop it. He doesn't go to Chief Bortolo and say, shut it down. He's all mad at at, at the uh, people in Quebec because they're standing up for their culture. But he won't stand up for his own truck drivers here in in Ottawa. So, I don't know. You pick your... You you decide. So, this kind of stuff, when it comes to... And this is, you know... (sighs) People often ask me, how do we get rid of corrupt politicians? Well, the answer is twofold. Number one, stop electing them. Stop rewarding them for being corrupt. When somebody promises you the moon and they don't deliver and there's no clear reason. Let me change that. When they say... We're not going to raise your taxes, but we're not going to cut them either. And then they repeal the law that prevents them from raising taxes. And then they go ahead and raise them anyway, even though they signed a document that says they're not going to do that. The individual in question, that was Dalton McGinty, by the way. And I know I'm going back 10 or 15 years. I don't care. It's a perfect example. He never should have saw a second term. And the other thing we have to do is stop tolerating it at the lowest levels of government. Where do you think these people learn their trade? Jim Watson wasn't always a mayor. You know, if you have a little town that you're part of and there's nepotism going on in your little community, the mayor hires his or her brother to run to run the, the, the fire department or, you know... Um, uh, However, whatever, there's nepotism going on or there's some kind of little uh, uh, scenario where, you know, everybody wink, wink, nudge, nudge has always done it this way. And there's a little skimming operation going on and the people in town know it, but they never throw the they never throw the people out who are doing it. Then all you're doing is training those politicians to extend the corruption to a larger scale if they choose to move on to larger circles of politics. Like if you have a local mayor, move on to become uh, a representative at Queens Park, and have always gotten away with maybe fudging their. Um, and I'm not, I don't have anybody in mind here. I'm not casting dispersions. I'm just using this as an example. So you have somebody who's always fudged with uh, things like expense accounts. Uh, you know, maybe they're submitting a little, a little bit. Uh, they're going out and spending a little too much for whatever, or they're taking advantage of the uh, of their position for their own personal benefit through their travel accounts or through their expense accounts? Well, if that's not nipped in the bud at the municipal level, because guess what? Mayors travel. They go to conferences. Okay? Sometimes they take their counselors with them. Now, I'm not against that. But they had better do it with economy in mind. If no one checks them, or if they do check There's some irregularities found and there's no good reason for it and the people of the town re-elect them. We're training those people to do it when there's, imagine now you get away with it on a small scale, nobody's watching and even if they are, there's no consequence. Now they move up to a level where they're not talking tens of thousands of dollars they're talking millions that they have access to. Do you think they're going to all of a sudden become really good decent people with good solid ethics and morals and say, oh you know, I got away with that back in Smallville, Ontario, but I can't do that here. No, 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 I couldn't do No, it'll get even worse. Because now there are much smaller fish in a much bigger pond. If you thought that nobody was watching back in Smallville, what makes you think they're gonna watch when you're when you step up to Queen's Park? Now think about going to a federal level. All of a sudden you're not talking millions, you're talking billions. And we wonder why we have corrupt politicians. That's why, because we let it happen. And I don't mean just on election day. I mean because we train these politicians to do it from day one. When somebody plays with an expense account or is doing something that is outside the code of ethics, which ought to be just the Ten Commandments, man, that's the only code of ethics you really need. This kind of stuff, I'm telling you, makes me crazy. And yes, I'm getting fired up because I'm sick and tired of people spending other people's money like a drunken sailor. You know the difference between a drunken sailor and a politician when they're being corrupt and spending other people's money? The sailor is only spending his own and has to quit when he runs out of money. That's the difference. When you hand the keys to the vault over to an elected official you had better make sure you're keeping an eye on the amount that's in that vault and how often it's accessed and how much comes out and where it goes. That's our job. That's what we as citizens are supposed to do. But too many people... Look, I know life's busy. And I know I'm ranting and I'm preaching to the choir. I get that. But how many people go have gone... To more than one council meeting in their municipality in the last year. Of maybe you have, but what about your friends? How many people have done it? And sat there. You want to scare the crap out of a small town mayor and his council or her council? You just sit in the back, don't say a word, with a big old eight and a half by eleven notebook, and you could be writing out a recipe. Make it look like you're taking notes, and all of a sudden, if you do that, if all you do is show up, let's say four or five times a year, you write out your favorite cheese, cheesecake recipe, and then close that book up afterwards. Or maybe you are taking notes. Maybe you should take notes. And then after four or five meetings, if you notice a trend of things that doesn't look right, you get yourself on the on the agenda, and get to address the council. Say, look, I've noticed something. How do you explain this? Maybe it's the fact that I go in camera so often. Why is it every council meeting you go in camera? Because in camera is only meant for when you have to discuss a contract that's being tendered by the town for the sake of, of um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I want to say privacy, but, you know, when you've got to keep the details of the tendered contract um, quiet until after the contract's been awarded. So the one one person tendering a bid doesn't get an advantage over the other. You keep those details to yourself. That's what in-camera's for. Once the contract has been awarded, then it's public information. So you might just ask them, why are you guys always going in-camera? How many contracts are you talking about back there? And you watch them sit in their chairs and squirm. If you really want to have some fun, grab four or five neighbors. And again, you don't have to get upset. You don't have to get wild and loud and all that stuff. All you have to do is sit there. If you've got five or six people scattered around in those chairs, you know the little chairs I mean, the black ones with the chrome trim, and the you know every council chambers has got them. They're about five dollars out of value village. The one thing they don't spend money on is chairs for the for the constituents. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, they spend good money on those tables and the like. <coughs> and I'm not saying they shouldn't have done this, but in Killaloo, there's a great big mural, and it covers the history of of, um, of Killaloo. Now, I'm not against that kind of thing. It's a very nice piece of artwork. Okay, maybe it's worth it. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But the point is, they don't cut any corners on that stuff. But the chairs they make you sit in aren't designed for comfort. They don't want you there very long. Okay. So anyway, you've got four or five people scattered around the room, all taking notes. Before long, the questions—they might never say it—but the question going across their forehead, through their mind is, what, "What? What? What? Um, what are they writing?" And maybe the mayor will come over to you after, if you live in a small enough community. Say, what's going on? Oh, nothing. Just thought I'd drop in, see what's going on. You close the book before he gets there, you slip it under your arm. What do you write down? Oh, just a few notes. It might be C sharp, B flat, and A minor, <laughs> writing out guitar chords. Those are all notes. <laughs> he doesn't need to know, she doesn't need to know. And it would, you know, something... It might encourage you to actually get involved. And you find out that municipal politics is not rocket science. And maybe you'll be encouraged to step into the ring the next time somebody throws their hat on the ground, the next time they drop the writ, and you want to throw your hat in the ring and see if maybe you can beat these guys. And be somebody who insists when they're sitting at the council table and want to go in camera? I'm sorry, we're not doing that. There's nothing to be discussed in council we do our business here in public and they might hate you doesn't matter you're not there for a popularity contest you're there to serve your constituents wouldn't that be a change so there you go that's how you start the process but you've got to start i can't encourage people enough you know the other place to do that board trust uh, uh school board trustee meetings nobody goes to those you start going to those are asking some tough questions or just do the same thing because they never get any exposure nobody ever knows what's going on at the trustee level you want to, you want you win your first municipal election that might be it what better place to start in the education system boy oh boy all right <laughs> okay i need to take a break we'll be back with more right after this
0: But fix it right the first time. Irwin's out of motion. 34, Cleopatra. Tell him council sent you. That'll make him smile.
4: EMM Group is the authorized IntegraSpec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made IntegraSpec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at IntegraSpec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist 613-835-2600. Stand a
3: little straighter, walk a little prouder Be an innovator, laugh a little louder Go the traitor, we can show you how
5: to When will you be then? You belong, you belong, you belong, you
0: belong To the Mary Marble Marching Society
1: I hit the wrong button i wasn't going to use that one as a bumper music again but it's a cool tune so there you go you get to listen to a little more of it all right with that said i can bring that to a halt there we go and now we're ready for the next one all right there was something i was going to bring up oh yes for those of you who follow me on facebook um, there is a gentleman I use a lot of his material. His name is Robert Lyman. I even had him as a guest one night. Great guest. Really articulate, mild mannered man, but man, can he cut things down to size in a hurry. And if I can just find the one he sent me recently, yeah, here it is. Now, he's got it set up a little bit differently this time. Because of the complexity of the topic, he took the approach of putting it together as a PowerPoint. Okay? And you can scan through it and you get. The whole thing, it's laid out for you. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. It's called, If It Moves, Tax It. And this is about the price of fuel. And Now, uh, I'm just going to share with you a couple of figures from this particular uh, document so you get a sense of how much tax we actually pay on fuel. Now, think about this for a minute. The market price for gasoline is $0.75. Diesel fuel is... It's 73 cents. There's 43 cents in tax on gasoline, 36 on diesel, and the pump price is 118, diesel is 109. Okay, now here's the composition of gasoline taxes. All right, so when you take that 43, you break it down, here's what you get. Uh, We're talking about gasoline. Provincial excise tax, 15 cents. Provincial sales tax, 6 cents. Federal excise tax, 10 cents. Federal sales tax, five cents. Transit tax, a whole penny. Carbon tax, four cents. Tax on tax, which is unconstitutional, but they do it anyway. Funny that, um, three cents. Now he says points to note: prices and taxes vary considerably across the country, with the highest pump prices in Vancouver at a, almost a buck forty, a dollar and the lowest in Manitoba at a dollar two. Only Vancouver, Victoria, and Montreal have transit taxes, and in brackets he puts, so far. Excise taxes are the largest single component. In 2017, total taxes paid on gasoline and diesel fuel, not including carbon taxes, will be $23.6 billion. Now, under the heading of Climate Change Plan, I'll share this with you and then I'll let this go. Federal and provincial governments in Canada have long been committed to greenhouse gas emission reduction targets to guide policy. The current federal targets are to reduce emissions by 17% below 20, 2005 levels by 2020. They want to lower it by 30% below the 2005 level uh, by 2030. And nationally, they want to lower it 50% below 2000 levels 2005 levels by 2050. So they want to cut it in half in 45 years. That's what that boils down to. Some provinces, example Ontario and Quebec, aim to reduce emissions by 80% or more by 2050. Yeah, this is... And he goes on talking about the consequences of the current policy approach, the carbon taxes and what damage that'll do. Social benefits of emission reduction. Let me... That's... uh, let me just share that section with you. Social benefits of emission reduction theory: If Canada reduces emissions by one ton, the world benefits unless other countries simply increase their emissions. Hundreds of studies have attempted to estimate to the have a, attempted to estimate to calculate or to calculate the social benefit. The best current estimate by Richard Toll is uh, in U.S. dollars, 25 cents per ton, or 31.68 Canadian. Paying more than that means the cost exceed the benefits. Okay, so again, it goes on. Uh, there's about 17 panels in it, so I'm not going to do it. Uh, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I just want to share that with you. If you think we're paying too much now, baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. Now, the question is, uh, what do we have to do to have sanity return to this file? Because at the moment, I don't know what else to say. I mean, really, we're already Tax to death. It's it's you know, the price of fuel impacts everything. And he makes the point that raising taxes on things doesn't really affect consumption. It takes a lot to make an impact. Because no matter what, and I get it, I understand that. But the reason it doesn't is because of where we live and the climate. Like our our country is the second largest country on on the planet. It's Ottawa is the coldest capital on the planet. Think about those things. We have warm summers. We have bitterly cold winters. We're an energy-intensive country. And nothing the left-wing loonies can say or do is going to change that. No amount of wishing for windmills, no amount of putting up solar panels, no amount of alternative energy is going to change that. So there you go. I just thought I'd share that with you for a moment because, man, I'm telling you, this kind of stuff That's why I really like Bob, because he he just has a way of opening it up and making it simple to understand. So thanks, Bob, for sending that. I really appreciate that. Now, for a little bit of levity. Oh, yes. For those of you who don't think that God has a sense of humor, (laughs) this isn't very long. And thank God for the guy in question, because (laughs) the judge might look at him and say, Yeah, you know what? You've been through enough already. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Man on the lam calls 911 after getting stuck while hiding from the cops. I was telling James earlier, uh, I don't know why things seem to happen in Utah, uh, but here we go. Salt Lake City. Authorities say a Utah man who was hiding from police and fled arrest had to call 911 to be rescued after getting stuck in his hiding spot. Salt Lake City police say 46-year-old Shane Paul Owen called dispatchers for help on Tuesday, more than six hours after... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Okay, after six hours uh, of being accidentally locked into a church's boiler room. (laughs) So he snuck into the basement of the church, slipped into the boiler room. And have you ever closed the car door and heard the door go clunk? And then you realize it's locked and your keys are on the inside. That sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach. Okay, multiply that by ten because here he is in the boiler room. The door swings shut. With a loud thud and a clack. <laughs> <laughs> now what do you do? <laughs> All right. Salt Lake City police say 46-year-old. Oh yeah, we did that. Officers were looking for Owens on Monday because he is a suspect in a string of burglaries and had a warrant out for his arrest. Police say the officers spotted him and attempted to pull his vehicle over, but he fled, got out of his own car, and ran into the church. A SWAT team held a standoff at the church until Owens called to be rescued. <laughs> okay, that's under the category of, you know you're having a bad day when, oh my good Lord. Oh, yeah, wishing for windmills. Man, I'm telling you, okay, put yourself in this poor slob's shoes. Look, he's not the brightest guy on the planet to begin with. I mean, a and e guy. All right. Now, running into a church, well, okay. If you're trying to get away, that might be an option. But ending up in the boiler room, <laughs> no windows, one door, and it locks from the other side. Way to go, Ace. <laughs> so you're sit- he's sitting there. Maybe there's one. I, I can kind of have this vision in my head. And there's one naked light bulb hanging down. And he's looking going, uh-oh. <laughs> what do I do now? And he goes over. And you can almost see him pulling on the door, right? And have you ever seen those cartoons where they put their feet on the door and then pull on the handle and they reef on it and reef on it, and it won't open? It's kind of like standing in a bucket and pulling up on the handle wondering why you can't get it off the ground. The same thing but on a door. Okay? And he's, he grunts and he groans and that doesn't work he looks around for something to pry the door open and maybe he finds a little you know a little rod or something and he bends it into a pretzel trying to get out nothing works and finally he sits down and he has to take his cell phone and dial those three digits <laughs> and oh man. that has got to be the worst of the worst of the worst uh well you know what <laughs> they say crime doesn't pay <laughs> not for this guy that's for sure the smart criminals don't get locked in the in the church basement so i just i had, just for a little bit of levity i had to throw that on into the pile tonight uh now one of the things that we hold most dear in this at least i do and i think a lot of you do too is this idea of the right to protest and freedom of speech that's been under assault a lot lately and we are in grave danger of losing those rights if we don't stand up for them it's the old the old uh, adage of you don't use it, if you don't use it, you lose it. Now, <clears throat> now, do you know what a bubble zone is? Well, the only time I've ever heard them described is when there's around the entrance to an abortuary. And they're designed to keep people away from the entrance so that women who want to go have an abortion can get to the abortion abortuary without having people get in their face about it, I guess is, is uh, I'm trying to be even handed about this, you know, to interfere with their access to the building. All right. Ontario is on the verge of banning protests outside abortion clinics with the legislature having given final approval to a new bubble zone law Wednesday. The vote was nearly unanimous guess who voted against it now there were some abstentions but that's not the same thing now i know why they abstained and i'll explain in a minute carlton mississippi mills mpp jack mclaren opposed the government bill it now just needs ceremonial assessment from the lieutenant governor to to take effect and you know he's going to do it this is just a rubber stamp all three major parties at Queen's Park supported the law, triggered by growing complaints from Ottawa Morgenthaler Clinic on Bank Street that women and staff were being harassed by any abortion activist. Have any of you people ever been down there? I mean, this is uh, right here in our own backyard. Have any of you people ever been down Bank Street? Do you even know where the Morgenthaler Clinic is? Look, I spend the middle of the week downtown every single day Part of my day on Bank Street. I've never seen anybody protest down there. I've, I don't even know where it is. And I have no interest in finding out either. So maybe I'm not on the right part of Bank Street. I don't know, but it sure looks in the picture like it's right downtown. So how big a threat are these? And think about it. Of all the protests that you've ever heard or heard about, many of them violent many of them destroy property damage look at the mess um that we have whenever antifa or black Lives matter raises its ugly head and, you know they're violent they're just unbelievable but when was the last time you ever heard any trouble out of a pro-life protest we have the pro-life march every year in ottawa 20 25,000 people no problems where does the problem come from? The people protesting, the protesters. There is, there's never, I, I don't know, there there may have been, and I'm not saying, a, is, um, well, you never hear, the, the I'm not saying that protesters for the pro-life crowd never do anything worthy of being arrested. But there is no equivalence here. The the vast majority of them are very, very peaceful. Uh, I know there's one grandmother who's been locked up for the, the heinous crime of kneeling down on the sidewalk and saying the rosary in front of an abortuary. And for that, the police came and arrested her. She was in her 60s. They arrested her, put her in handcuffs like a common criminal, carted her off to jail. Because she simply was praying for the babies and the mothers going into that abortuary. That was her great crime. So now you have uh, this bubble zone to make it even harder for these people to at least even ask the people going in whether they considered any other option besides abortion. What a What a country. I'm telling you what a province we live in. Uh, I don't support this law, and I think that Jack McLaren had it exactly right. Now, uh, let me see if I can get back to the story because I want to tell you who it was uh, that abstained. Uh, Because what happened was that uh, the liberals thought they could use this as a wedge issue to drive between red Tories and social conservative Tories uh, and just watch them tear themselves apart over it. But Patrick Brown said, nope. We're all going to vote this. Uh, we're going to vote uh, with you on this, and we're all going to do it in a hurry. And we're going to get this through through the. Um, he took exactly the wrong approach, is what he did. He should have presented a united front, but he should have said, "No, we're not limiting people's ability to protest, even if you don't like what they're protesting about." Okay, so although Brown supported the bill, some socially conservative Tories missed the vote, including Lanark MPP Randy Hillier, Niagara MPP Sam Oosterhoff, and southwestern Ontario. MPP Rick Nichols, a pair of liberal MPs, the Tories have identified as abortion critics, Joe Dixon, and Mario Sergio were absent. So, look, you don't get, uh, in my mind, if there's a vote in the House, then you need to be there. And if your vote's going to go against the party leader on an issue like this, tough, tough. I know there's all kinds of punitive damage the party leader can inflict on you, but what are your principles worth? What do you believe in? If you won't stand up and defend free speech in this case, what about the next case? There's more to this than just some old lady praying in front of a ro- praying a rosary in front of an abortuary. This is about our right to protest, even if the people we're protesting don't like it. You know, this is the only time you ever see this kind of stuff happen. And it should happen in other cases a lot more frequently than it does. Alright, so there's that. I thought I'd bring that up to you. Uh, Yeah, that's that one, so I can get rid of that. Oh. I am so sick and tired of this issue. I thought this was dead. I thought this died. (sighs) They're still trying to get a bill passed... To make the, the Canadian National Anthem gender neutral by changing the words from all thy son's command to all of us command. This was Maril Boulanger's dying wish. Why he would choose that as his dying wish, I have no idea. Talk about bigger fish to fry. This is a complete and total waste of time and effort. The Senate should just, send, just, just keep sending this back and say if this comes up again, we're just going to keep throwing it back down at you because we're not doing this. That's what the Senate should say. Will they do it? Obviously not. Because they're still wasting time on it. Anyway, so... One of them got clever. Or at least thought they were getting clever. Uh, let's see. The leader of the Senate, Senate's independent senators group. That's code, by the way, for the old uh, senators that were liberal. Okay? He took a bit of a different approach to this whole argument... And he decided to launch into some poetry. I will share it with you now, <clears throat> whether yea or nay, we must seize the day. Our national anthem thought though finally wrought, needs a sober second thought. I'll put my glasses on here. Don't let pre, pre, prever, I can't even say that prevarication, yeah, don't let prevarication stop the liberation. True patriot love does now command a vote. Our sons or us demand. Even procrastination. Let's call the question on guard for thee, glorious and free, honorable senators. We owe Canada. We owe, as in owe Canada. Get it? No, no. What you what you owe us is to send tell tell the lower chamber to grow the hell up and leave the damn anthem alone. That's what you need to do. This is why I never make a, I would never last in those kinds of places. Yes, I know, Kevin, it's a non-issue. But it's wasting our taxpayers' time and issue. If they just leave the damn thing alone, we wouldn't even be talking about this. But this is our signature song. This is... I actually like the Maple Leaf Forever better. But uh, O Canada is officially our national anthem. And they should just leave the thing alone. All right. Anyway. Oh, yeah, we've already gone over Jim Watson and his foolishness about... um, slapping taking a slap at quebec it's not often that uh i think quebec's got it right when it comes to some of the things that they do but boy they sure got it right on that one all right now there's another issue here um judge acquits how this is possible i have no idea we've all heard the tape on various media outlets and that's when we're talking about the Ontario Liberals and that bribery case up in Sudbury. You heard the offer. It was taped. It was recorded. Now, look, I understand it has to go to court and it has to see the light of day and a judge ultimately has to make a decision. Well, he did. The judge completely acquitted the Ontario Liberals of an Election Bribery Act case. Let me share just a few paragraphs of this. Two Ontario Liberals were acquitted of the Election Act bribery charges Tuesday in a case the party and one of the defendants called politically motivated from the start. Yes, of course it's politically motivated. It was a political scandal. Like this kind of stuff just politically motivated. No kidding. It was politically motivated on both sides. You were politically motivated to offer this guy a bribe not to run so you could get your star candidate in there. And the other side was politically motivated to hold you accountable for that. Now the judge. Judge Howard Borenstein concluded no reasonable jury could find them guilty, granting a direct, a directed verdict application for the defense that called for the charges to be dismissed before the defense called any witnesses. What? are you? To, l- let me ask you this question. If you're sitting in a jury's box and you are played that clip, are you going to tell me that you're not going to go... Sure, sounds like bribery to me. Really? Because look, I'm no rocket scientist. I'm just a redneck from Killaloo, man. I'm just a guy that does a once-a-week talk show. But I like to think I got enough common sense that I know the difference between a thunderstorm and somebody peeing on my boots, telling me when it's raining. It's just the judge. I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't know how he came to that conclusion. I just don't get it because it makes no sense to me at all. I have to take a quick break. We'll come back with the final segment right after this.
3: Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area, and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together.
4: EMM Group is the authorized IntegraSpec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made IntegraSpec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at IntegraSpec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist 613-835-2600.
1: all right welcome back we've got to take a quick call here because boy we need phone calls are great so let's uh, just make that adjustment and caller hang on a second there we go hello, hello. caller welcome to the night show who am i talking to it- you're talking to your old buddy, Kirk, from the 206. Oh, uh, not again. <laughs> All right. Not again, yeah. <laughs> There's a glitch going on with my phone calls tonight, and I can't seem to figure out what the problem is. Oh, that didn't work. <laughs> Can you hear me? Move. Uh, let's see. That's not Can a- you hear me? I'm sorry, caller. I'm going to have to sort this out and make sure that it works next week. Um, I don't have time to get into it right now. I thought I had it sorted out. And it's not working. If you want to go over to Facebook and send me your comment there, I'll read it out for people to listen to. How's that? If you can do that, then that will be yeah, great. Yeah, that will be fine. And just mention you were the caller on hold. Uh, my apologies for that. I really wish I could because I don't like hanging up on calls before we actually hear what they have to say. So go to Facebook. Send me a note um, there about what your comments are. Um, your comments are, and we can talk about it. Uh, that way at least all right Kevin just asked me who was ticking me off I said liberals <laughs> all right now in the final segment of the show there's a couple of things first of all, all right Stevie Wonder hasn't now he's a, he was a huge recording star but what's he done recently like he's just I don't want to say he's a nobody he's obviously had a huge career. But he's been—he was asked to play the national anthem, okay, in the United States. And let me see. Let me just read you the first paragraph. Music legend Stevie Wonder continues to stand in solidarity with the NFL players. They have pro- that have protested racial injustice by taking a knee during the Star-Spangled Banner. Over the weekend, he demonstrated his support by performing the national anthem on his knees. Uh, let's see. Oh, it was at the Grand Prix in Austin, Texas, Formula One Grand Prix. All right, so if I'm the PA announcer, here's how I deal with this because I think this is just plain brain dead. Um, when Stevie Wonder gets down on his knees and he's playing the anthem, I turn the mic on when he's finished to say, "Ladies and gentlemen, I want to give—I want you to give Stevie Wonder an amazingly, uh, a, a wonderful, warm round of applause to show his devotion to the country, his gratitude for living here uh, in the United States." And i got to tell you, I have never seen anyone display such patriotism that they would actually play our national anthem in a symbol of patriotic fervor from their knees. Well done, Stevie. That I would do in a heartbeat. Because this kind of nonsense has to be slapped down. Look, it's enough to make you just... Stevie Wonder, yeah? You know, it's it's like people expect them to be listened to, these, these superstars expect to be listened to just because they're superstars, just because they can sing, just because they can act. There's more to life than that. There is more to life than, than being able to croon into a microphone. Otherwise, Josh Groban would be king of the world. I've just rediscovered him, by the way. Oh, my good Lord. I posted this on Facebook a couple of weeks ago, but i got to tell you, I've been listening to him... And my daughter's uh, explanation of what he sounds like, I think, hits the nail on the head. When Josh Groban sings, is what God sounds like when He sings. What a voice! Anyway, I didn't want to get down on it, get down in that. Um, there was also some stuff I wanted to get into about our our uh, finance minister and how he he promised in a clip I saw today about how he's going to move beyond ethics. That you know, there can't be any there can't be any ethical lapses, and he's going to do more than required. Uh, That kind of falls under the category of, dude, you're a little late. You don't have really any leg to stand on because you already got caught. So what's the point of the crocodile tears now? But to add some weight to the story, especially CBC did a story and the headline is how two Canadians named in the Panama Papers led nearly 200 companies they claimed to know nothing about. Now, given what we now know about uh, Mr. Monroe, um good Lord, I can never say Marno, uh, given what we know about the finance minister's behavior and you know the fact that he was passing legislation benefiting his own companies, which would be Um, in any other field of endeavor would at least lead to his termination. But for some reason in the Liberal Party of Canada, everything's fine. Nothing to see here. Move on, move on, move on. You know, there's no train wreck here. We didn't spill any oil because we were too stupid to put up a pipeline. You know, none of that. No, no, we got nothing to see here. Man, I'm telling you, it's enough to make you cry. Anyway, so I just thought I'd bring that article to your attention. Give that a read because it just blows my mind. There's there's two women who got started back in the 1990s. In effect, what they did was they rented out their names. Now, I don't know how much the article, I don't remember, get it got into how much they actually got paid. Um, oh, yes, it does. She, uh, One of them got paid $100 a year per company for a total of about $20,000 in the most lucrative years, which would be wired to her from Switzerland around Christmas. There's a nice Christmas bonus for you. <sighs> so what that means is that they've rented out their name, they got paid and compensated for it, and what they were was on paper, they were CEOs of these companies with signing authority. They would be sent large volumes of forms, granting power of attorney, signing blank forms, all kinds of nonsense uh, that they had no idea what they were signing. You know, basically signing blank checks. And it allowed people like, you know, who, who have taken companies uh, overseas to hide their profits in tax shelters, the ability to do so without getting caught by Revenue Canada because they run this through a bunch of banks. And then they have access to the money because now there's no link to them anymore. And at the heart of this, at the heart of this, what nobody ever seems to want to talk about is if our rates weren't so high, if we weren't paying the kind of income tax we're paying now, both corporate and personal, there wouldn't be a need to shelter income. But nobody ever chases that that down. It's just... Anyway, so I'd be very interested to find out if there's anything like that, because Mister Morneau is not telling us what's going on in his other numbered companies. I wonder why. Maybe, and I don't have any proof of this, and I'm not—I'm not trying to dis- dispar- disparage the man. He's done a pretty good job of that all by himself. But maybe it's worth asking. Is this the kind of thing that's going on in your other companies? Because you didn't put it in a blind trust like you said you did. You didn't divest yourself of the stock. You didn't do a lot of things you said you did. So are you going to come clean now? And even if you did, how can we believe you? Because you've been something a little less than honest. All right. That's it for tonight, folks. I, th- I want to thank my guest again, James Cohen, for dropping in and spending an hour with us. It was great. It's always fun to have him in. He really is a wealth of knowledge on a whole host of topics. We'll do it again. Um, And who knows what happens in the future. Anyway, thank you all for participating. It's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it. I hope you did too. And we will see you all again next week. In the meantime, ubiqueritas et amor. Deus CBS. Good evening. God bless. Don't let anything disturb your peace. And may you have a fair wind and a following
4: sea. Of all the money that e'er I had, I spent it
0: in good
5: company. And all the harm I've ever done, alas it was to none but me. And all I done for one time went to memory now I can't recall. So filled yeah, to me the parting Drink a health, whatever befalls. Then gently rise and softly call. Good night and joy be to you all.
1: Of all the comrades that it I had, they're sorry for my going
5: all the sweethearts that e'er I had They'd wish me one more day to stay But since it fell into my lot That I should rise and you should not I'll gently rise and softly
4: call Good night and joy be